0: This is Brand & New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to
1: Brand & New, I am Audrey Dove. When security breaches make news headlines, they tend to be about nefarious hackers in another country or related to some kind of catastrophic failure of technology. However. Employees occasionally make mistakes without realizing how dangerous they can be to the organization's cybersecurity, from sending valuable data to incorrect recipients via email to misconfiguring assets to allow for unwanted access. Indeed, human mistakes reportedly account for 25% to a third of data and intellectual property breaches within companies. And our guest today, Dr. Adi Gilat, shares her experience about these breaches and to what extent IP rights are at risk, particularly in the specific context of a pandemic that has impacted all businesses and their ways of working for the last few months. Adi has been an IP, IT and privacy lawyer for almost 25 years, advising technology companies on complex tech transactions and compliance matters. Ranked among the top transactional IP lawyers in Israel, one of the world's most innovative economies, Adi is a founding partner at HF & Co, based in Tel Aviv, Israel, and leads its intellectual property, IT, and tech transactions practice. She is a licensed attorney both in Israel and in the US, where she also practiced IP transactional and litigation law. Adi, thank you very much for accepting our invitation. Thank you very much, Audrey, for having me. So it seems pretty obvious that companies whose core assets are IP rights should be on the watch for breaches caused by employees, whether voluntarily or not. And by some estimates, 70% of the value of publicly traded companies all sectors alike over the world include IP. Do you believe this internal threat to companies' intangible assets is taken as seriously as it should be by the media and policymakers, but mostly by the companies themselves? I believe
2: that from the perspective of the policymakers, there has been a huge evolution in the past several years towards greater and greater regulation. While it is uh, geared both on privacy and data protection, uh, it also very much um, emphasizes data security. And I think from the regulator perspective, things have been um, evolving recently quite rapidly and and extensively. I would even say that there perhaps is less of a balance and there needs to be a balance between the heavy regulation and the size of the company which brings me to the attention of the companies. So you mentioned publicly traded companies and, and big companies. I believe in that sector, there is an enormous attention and also resource put into security, not always as smartly as could have been. Uh, sometimes not, not all the resources are put in the right place, but certainly a lot of resource. I think uh, the size of the company very much determines and the, the state of its evolution very much determines how seriously and how efficiently they take um, these matters, one thing could be even you know surprisingly less trivial. sometimes the companies that are smaller and have less resource and still are subject to the same uh, very cumbersome regulation may have internal resources to manage uh, their data security, uh, which are more targeted and more precise than the bigger greater and more heavy corporations, which may pour a lot of resource, but they are less effective in many mm-hmm. ways and and I think that divide possibly is not taken accurately enough uh, into account in the um, the way the regulation is set out. I believe that enforcement does take it into account because again, enforcement is re- the recent enforcement is is far more targeted against the big multinationals than it is towards the smaller ones, even though the smaller companies are subject to the same regulation just as much and are required to take
1: it as seriously. Many workers recently switched to remote working due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, working from home seems to trigger an additional range of risks for companies since the most common technologies that have led to accidental data breaches by Employees are, for instance, external email services, corporate emails, file sharing services or collaboration tools or messaging apps. What piece of advice would you give companies and workers to make sure they are being safe or let's say at least safer when working remotely from an IP and data perspective?
2: Yeah, so definitely the the working remotely aspect of the COVID nineteen has emphasized the greater risks, as it emphasized many other challenges and, and phenomena that take place in the work in the work uh, environment, as in many and in many other contexts. Education, education, education is extremely important. Train your employees if your employees are highly committed to the workplace. And are highly committed to the organization safety and organization brand and organization success, then you are better positioned to have them take better care of their passwords and take better care of patching uh, um, and implementing software uh, updates, which are often uh, a potential vulnerability where people just forget or don't take the time to do it. So hopefully, uh, companies that are well positioned in the sense of the commitment and, and, and sense of belonging that they have thus far provided to their employees will be at a, at a good place to reap the fruit also in, in a crisis situation or in a, in a situation where the risks are greater. From the IP perspective, the, the risks are similar to the data privacy perspectives and the, with respect to potential damage, but I think the same type of precautions and attention would
1: work on both ends. And talking about IP at risk, what about brands? Uh, what types of damages can brands suffer as a result of employee errors or misconduct resulting in a breach? Um, what about the brand reputation maybe with its clients, with its partners, uh, its investors? Uh, have you faced anything that you would like to share with us?
2: Yes. So I think it's a great question. I think the brand, the brand damage in fact could be much much greater than the actual damage for example uh we've had uh, a company that was hacked and you know any organization can be hacked the pentagon can be hacked you can take all the security measures the reasonable security measures and still there would be a possibility to hack we detected it we've made all of the um internal uh, uh examinations and checkings and we believe that no no harm was actually done the logs of the hacking w- were able to show that nothing was actually extracted in that case there was no issue of of data only an issue mm-hmm. of ip and a potential breach of of code and one of the most important aspect of uh handling this incident was a very sophisticated uh, negotiation that we entered into with the hacker, so to speak. And these days we're talking about uh, what's called the responsible disclosure. So people uh, that are security experts around the world and they don't call themselves hackers. They're they're experts and they show you a vulnerability and interact with you to see what can be um, done jointly. And the negotiation was extremely sophisticated such that it would make sure That they would be rewarded for their effort. We would make sure that nothing of this leaked because while there was no damage, the customers would have not known that there was no damage. And it doesn't sound well. And it's harmful for a customer to know that potentially even the fact that they work with a certain vendor would leak. So that's one, one example. Another example that I can speak about, and it's even more um, pointed, I believe, is that Oftentimes, partners in the ecosystem would overreact to a potential breach. And I've seen it happen even where companies are in a a certain uh, area of technology. So we've seen this happen in data analytics, for instance, for mobile apps. And there are several competitors. One competitor, one, one company in this area was found by the responsible disclosures that I discussed before to have had a breach. And, and then this comes up on the Internet in a blog. The aftermath of this after three months is that Google and Apple uh, decide to close all of this business. So hmm. with a 24 hour notice, they can say to the other competitors that do similar data analytics technologies with similar measures that they no longer can use these types of SDKs. They no longer can use these technologies. And we're closing up all of the apps that are using this and because the platforms are protecting themselves and they're protecting their potential uh, exposure, uh, the overreaction can be so broad that not only your brand but other brands uh, that are in the similar vicinity may be impacted and this is not even uh, starting to talk about consumer reaction and uh, when there is actual damage. Both of the examples that I've, that I've given are so um, extreme because the brand harm was greater than the actual impact. These things are, they tend to, to get more volume than you would expect. So it's important to manage the brand issues. Sometimes responding to bloggers who claim to have found vulnerabilities is a very important decision. Sometimes not responding is the right decision. So these are things that are important to uh, think about when something like this happens. And um, even when, when the company believes the potential vulnerability is immaterial, potential damage or actual damage is insignificant, sometimes the echo that these things get
1: evolving over time is greater than the actual incident. Um, Now, I would like to focus on the employees themselves. What about the data and privacy of the employees? Are there new issues presented by the COVID-19 crisis with respect to employee personal information? Do you have any advice you could share with our listeners to protect their own information? Maybe a simple step they can take or signs uh, to be on the watch for? Certainly. So. With the COVID-19
2: in Israel, for instance, we are stepping out or hopefully stepping out. Businesses are required to collect certain health information. So people cannot, employees, uh, first and foremost, and also visitors may not enter a premises before they get their temperature taken and before uh, declaring that they're healthy. This is something that businesses we're never uh, faced with. So take a law firm, take a clothing store, take an insurance company. Nobody has taken temperature of employees. This is very, it's very intrusive. We have been asked this uh, very recently, this week, the advice t- we've given, and this this aligns with guidelines that are being um, published on basically really on a weekly and daily basis because things are so it's changing so so fast by the authorities. So the key point is minimizing information. So when you're the employer, you check the temperature, but you're better off not recording the fact that you check the temperature of a specific individual and rather record on a uh, aggregated basis. And this is what's required from you in our case uh, by the regulation. If you're an employee, it's a good use of your time to understand what's needed. And if you're able to make sure that more information is not retained beyond what's necessary and uh, nobody wants to undermine what's necessary, then that's a really good um, practice and good advice. It's, it's uh, the less information one holds, the less potential breach there is, the less potential brand damage that we discussed before. So it's a good, very good practice.
0: INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation.
1: Adi, you are a licensed attorney in Israel and in the U.S., in New York, and you have actual IP litigation experience in both countries. We assume that there are differences in the way employees behave or are expected to behave in relation to the company's IT resources, IP, and information. But are there some examples that highlight well for you these differences between both jurisdictions?
2: I believe that the fact that Israel is so much less formal than many other jurisdictions, the U.S. included, impact uh, employee behavior, and it has lesser formality, both has advantages and disadvantages. So on the disadvantages, it's very clear. Uh, employees are are less obedient, so to speak. There is greater mess, and this requires companies to be more vigilant and to manage everything more hands-on and try to also entrust or uh, create the work environment with policies that are less formal. I think employees in Israel are more receptive to uh, requirements that are provided in a less formal way. Uh, even though formalities are required under regulation and you need to have policies, etc., people kind of see through them and they become transparent. They become inexistent because they're so formal. So I think in Israel, the way to get to the heart and the way to get to the actual uh, results uh, is in a more flexible way. And I believe that U.S. companies coming in doing business in Israel understand this and
1: adapt quickly to the environment. With the current recession environment, companies are facing high pressure from their investors to drive costs down and more specifically size down business teams while at the same time being held to unchanged commercial and financial goals, uh, which is a real dilemma. Uh, From what you hear from your clients and what you see in your network and community, how do companies navigate these tensions from a strategic and HR management perspective. And what is your role in this context as a transactional IP attorney? Um, so, Audrey, the way that uh, I see it, uh,
2: in particular, sitting as a, for, from the perspective of a transactional lawyer and uh, the person who's, uh, who sees all of the commercialization of a company's IP. I I believe that the key here and the way that people are trying to deal with this is in a very realistic and flexible outlook. There is no one-size-fits-all. Downsizing across the board is not always the right uh, solutions. There are many companies who thrive despite COVID-19. Sometimes the technology is exactly what people have been looking for Sometimes it's unimpacted and sometimes other companies have been drastically impacted. Little by little after the, the first couple of weeks where people were more stressed and uh, overwhelmed, I think that people are tr- starting to see that um, a uh, specific outlook at the needs of a company, careful uh, navigation, not taking measures that are uh, potentially uh, more fitting to other companies or other size of companies, other, other industries, uh, is, is really getting the attention of management and boards and the understanding that things are, are still alive and kicking in one way. And in others, there are some difficulties. So uh, the way to deal with them is in a very pointed and specific manner.
1: I would like now to talk about a case study, a very interesting one. Uh, You have been directly involved in a big deal that was negotiated and closed during the pandemic just a few weeks ago. You represented the Israeli company Movit, that developed a a global public transit app and uh, start mobility tools acquired by the U.S. company Intel. How did you and your team work? on the IP and technology parts of this transaction and what were the main challenges faced in this very special context? And how do you see your role there? First of all, uh, we had to deal with a
2: $1 billion deal that from from day one was conducted without one face-to-face meeting. It was all done via video conferencing. In fact, one can say that it was even more efficient because nobody was on vacation, nobody was traveling, everybody were, everybody was 100% dedicated, and it was very fast. It, was, it closed down in quite a, a short amount of time. It proved to be very uh, effective. There was a very willing acquirer and a very willing seller. So the price w- did not go down. Valuation did not go down. This was a deal that, the, that both parties very much wanted. All of the actors, our team or the team of lawyers from all the parties uh, were very much dedicated to get this done and were very much able to do so. So if you get on a zoom call, you have a number for the conference and you get the number one hundred and twenty three, it's funny <laughs> mm-hmm. It very rarely happens. Uh, mm-hmm. so a lot of people were involved and they were able to be involved in one in that one meeting, for instance so, I, as an IP lawyer, uh, was in charge with, uh, with all of the diligence on, on the IP privacy. And this is a very, very much a, a data based company, uh, Move It is, namely. Um, it's big data of both transit and users. So there were very important uh, issues and uh, questions to be dealt with on these aspects. So I was sitting in a big, big, empty conference room <laughs> with my team. With 100 people on the other side and uh, three hours of questioning, and I think in, in any other any other situation it would have been more difficult and it would have taken more time. So in a way, it worked. And the end, the bottom line proves the the success. So it was really successful, uh, and it was great fun and a very unique uh, very unique experience within such a short period of time and under these uh,
1: very unique circumstances of the COVID 19. And do you think that uh, there are like some lessons from, from this experience? In other words, do you think that this uh, experience will be multiplied in the future, even without a lockdown or without uh, the, the current crisis uh, consequences? I believe that the efficiency of the ability to negotiate
2: over, over telecommunication is, was well proven. I still am a a big believer in in face to face interaction, but the ability in video conferencing to have a combination of somewhat of a face to face uh, interaction and uh, the potential of basically broadcasting this face to face interaction to a larger audience at one time. And I believe that the lesson is learned that it, it can be done. It's possible. It does put a very stark difference and that difference in many ways works in in other places as well between the strong and the weak the successful and the not successful so this deal that is very is a good deal and both parties are very motivated it will get done it differentiates very much between the ones that are not as advanced and well positioned to close same thing with with all other activities by the way employees that mm-hmm. are excellent will excel. Employees that are less uh, successful will have a harder time because they will have less face-to-face time, less uh, oversight. It kind
1: of emphasizes differences. And now I have a few rapid-fire questions for you, Adi. Uh, could, Could you name a word that would summarize the last decade and the one you expect for the decade that is just beginning? So I think the last
2: decade, uh, one word would be change. And if I can use two words, it's fast change. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that that would uh, also form a personal perspective and a general perspective. And for the next uh, decade, I think time. And again, with two words, it's more time for self, for growth. Who are your role models, if any, of course? I always wanted a role model, but I don't think I had one other than my parents. So I think I still look up to them and I think that they molded a lot of what I believe. I frame myself as a human being. The last book you read? One Israeli book called Life Plays With Me by a great Israeli writer called David Grossman. It's a great book.
1: Okay, and a piece of advice to help lawyers overcome the challenging periods ahead keep optimistic, keep on your feet,
2: look around, find the places where you can uh, make a change, make a splash, find an organization where you have uh, mutual goals and you can find yourself in and uh, be motivated at and then carry on with that. I I believe that that that's the way to look at life and at work these days. Okay, it's a wise advice. Thank you very much, Adi. Thank you, Audrey. It's been my pleasure.
1: Our guest today was Dr. Adi Gilat, founding partner at HF & Co, based in Tel Aviv, Israel.
0: Thank you for listening to Brand & New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.